Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Freund. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Today's story is This Is For You by Bruce McAllister, narrated by Stefan Rudnicki. This story is copyright 2017. Bruce McAllister's short stories have appeared over the years in many of the science fiction and fantasy fields' major magazines and in various year's best volumes, and have won or been shortlisted for awards from the National Endowment for the Arts, the Shirley Jackson Award, the Nebula, the Hugo, and others. He's the author of the novels Dream Baby and The Village Sang to the Sea, as well as the collection The Girl Who Loved Animals. So it's time to buckle up. We're going to light speed. This is for you by Bruce McAllister. There was one girl I really liked in school when I returned to Earth, but it took me three months to say hello. I wasn't good with human beings. We'd just gotten back from Pitapec, a red dwarf star system just left of Tau Ceti, as the joke goes. My father had been stationed there for two years with the TU's Planetary Safety Agency, and living with the slow, enigmatic, bipedal Pitipeki, especially in one of their villages and under those endless clouds, tends to make you lose your people skills. In fact, it can really change you. The girl's skin was as white as Pitipec's brightest moon, her hair as dark as a pench's eyes, just beautiful. I said, hello. It was an overcast day, and we were taking a break in the hallway from Geo Paul Simming. She said hello back. I could tell from her voice and the way she looked at me that my skin wasn't a problem. A week later, I said hello again, and I knew this would continue for the entire school year if I didn't do something special. I'd had a human girlfriend on Pitapec, another PSA officer's kid, in the village down the road. Her name was Claire, but she'd disappeared that second year. Her body never found. That does something to you. No one on Earth makes paintings anymore. Not really. But the Pitipeki do. I'd had Pitipeki friends, young males, my age in the village, who made them every day. Every painting has a purpose for them, a practical one. Spinota peluga mavilea, the Pitipeki say. A painting must do something. It's not about art. It's about... How to put it? Relationships. Power. Getting what you want. I'd learned to paint in that village the way the Pitipeki do. There wasn't much else to do. But I hadn't learned everything. So I made a painting for Mala. That was her name. Her dad was a politician, people said. A painting of the village I'd lived in. I gave it to her after school as she was about to board the rail to her neighborhood and I was about to board mine. She looked terrified for a moment. It's a painting, I said, and gave her my best smile. 
I hadn't given a girl that smile since Pitapec, since Claire. I made it with an oil paint you get when you mix the resin of the Darmiath tree with the right minerals on Pitapec. Lithium, the hematitics, unstable metamorphs. You've got to grind them up with a mortar. The paint has a charge. It makes you tingle. Some scientists think the minerals, if arranged right, can affect space in weird ways, quantum ways. That's why the painting sparkles and looks like it's moving. This was a lot more than a hello. But if I kept talking, I told myself she'd calm down, wouldn't she? I hoped so. I didn't want to scare her. She did. The painting was strange, and so was the boy with the greenish skin, but he was just a boy, wasn't he? Strange, not creepy. It's really big, she said, trying to be nice. I only make big paintings, I said, laughing. It was a joke. Well, she joked back, I wouldn't want you to make a smaller one just for me. She liked me, I could tell. Maybe she liked my skin. I really wanted to believe it. As my grandfather, not a nice man at all, but a wise man, told us, engineer a person so they're unique and you have art that people will want. That is real power. Was I art to her? I could do that, I said. Really? That made her laugh. The painting, she kept looking at it, was doing what I'd hoped it would. Can I show you something? I asked. You won't miss your rail, I promise. Sure. I was holding the painting upright next to us, one hand on it to steady it. It was big, as tall as we were, a vertical landscape, a village, a marlick hut, and a door you were supposed to look at, so I'd made the door red and put sunlight on the path leading to it. I picked up the painting and led her to the shade side of the station. Everyone else was further down the track. To be funny, I frowned and said, You hate it, don't you? No, I don't hate it at all. I made it for you. This made her laugh, too. She was trusting me, and that felt good. I got that impression, she said. Do you want to touch it? She did, and who wouldn't? She looked at me, then the painting, then me again. No boy had ever given her a painting before, I knew. She touched my elbow. Her hand lingered, and my arm tingled, and with the other hand reached out to the painting. Then she hesitated. Go ahead, I said. It won't bite. She did. She moved her hand over the surface, loving the feel of it as everyone does when they touch a Pitapec painting, like fur, like little teeth tickly. When her arm disappeared into the painting, I stepped back to let what needed to happen happen. No one could see us. She screamed once, a tiny sound lost in the wish of a passing rail, and her other arm in its pretty sky-blue sleeve tried hard to pull the first one out, grabbing, holding on. But that arm disappeared, too, in a swirl of green. Her skinny legs, shaking terribly, did their best to fight it, but were swallowed by the oily green, too. And in a second... With one more little scream, one that made me remember a day in the village, she was gone. She was mine. That's what this kind of painting was for. You make it and give it to someone you want to have forever. I'd learned that on Pitapec, but I'd never learned the rest. I'd tried hard with the release minerals, the required patterns, but could never pull it off. An arm would appear the skin white as paint, shivering, a voice somewhere far away shrieking, or a hand or a foot, but then it would snap back into the green. 
Every time, my friends would laugh in that gargly way Pitapec laugh. What do you do with someone once you have them? I didn't know. I took the painting home, thinking it would feel different, heavier or something. But it didn't this time either. No sounds from it. Nothing moved on the surface even for a moment. I wondered, just for a moment, what she was feeling, if she was feeling anything. I started another one late that night. I had lots of paint left. I'd spent weeks in the village making it. There was a girl with yellow hair at the school, her skin bronzed by the sun. And I didn't want to spend months on hellos with her, too. I was pretty sure I loved her. But after a pitapec, it's hard to know. Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rudnicki reading This Is For You by Bruce McAllister. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams. If you are not already a subscriber to our Hugo Award-winning magazine, check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Our sponsor this month is Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, publisher of John Joseph Adams' books. Be sure to keep a lookout for Bannerless by Kerry Vaughan, as well as Sand by Hugh Howey, both of them coming out this summer. You can get links to more info on those titles from HMH by visiting johnjosephadams.com. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with yours truly. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Lightspeed Magazine. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.